My name is Chidi Hasaluka, and I'm an educator here in New York City. And this is the Asaluka Podcast. On this episode, we interview another educator, Ronald Taylor, who currently teaches history in the middle school. We talk about charter schools, transitioning into independent schools, and attracting more black men to education. It's a wide-ranging conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome to another episode of the Osaluka Podcast. Um, got a, this has been a long time coming, um, Ronald and I. And um, um, I remember, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, um, and my previous school that I worked in, I was the only black man for the seven years that I'm there. Um in the upper division. And I remember uh, coming to the orientation of my new job and at the table was Ronald. And I remember being like so shocked to see another black man in this job. And so since then I've been just super interested and been watching his journey. He's been killing it in our school. And so I wanted to pick his brain for some time. And so I'm just so happy for him to be joining us in the quarantine edition of our podcast. And so Ronald, just uh, who are you? Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? Yeah, big question. Um, I am the product of a lot of God-fearing people uh, as, as a start. And I think that religion, um, but more importantly, faith uh, is kind of what ended up putting me into the teaching profession, despite, um, you know, a, a lot of the things that you grow up hearing in, in, in at least the strain of the household that I grew up around being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, architect something that had an advanced degree and made a good amount of money. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that mm-hmm, was pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, but if anything else, I'm someone that cares about other people's children. And I think uh, what motivates me most, especially in this field and in life is making sure that we undo some of those systemic issues that have happened over time that um, have put on the false narrative that some people's children deserve all the gifts of life and other people's children deserve only a fragment of that. Yep. Um, and so I think if anything else, that's what motivates me on like a intrinsic deeper level. Um, but who, who am I like on a basal level? Um, a millennial living in, living in St. Albans, Queens, Southeast Jamaica, uh, born and raised here in New York, product of Hempstead, Strong Island and Queens, little New York city suburban hybrid. Um, and I'm somebody, at least in our work context, who was, is not a product of any of the schools in mm-hmm. which I'm currently educating. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had similar experiences going to parochial education, but nothing that prepares you for, you know, the New York City independent school circuit and all that comes with it. Um, right. So if anything, you, you know, you, you could say that I, I am an imposter in this space, but um, as I've grown older a bit, um, I've realized that there's not much impostering that I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's who I am. In short, um, I'm crazy, and that's okay. That's kind of who I am. <laughs> that's it. Uh, it's definitely crazy to get into this space, this education space. Um, one of the major challenges I had in college. I'm curious to get your story. High school, college. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know I was going to be a teacher in college, but I knew it was not going to be your traditional doctor, lawyer, engineer thing. I, I didn't know what it was. I thought in college it would be an artist. I thought I would be like some sort of photographer slash poet thing. Um, and one of the major challenges I had in college was people telling me, you're going to a really good school. Why do you want to be broke? Like, why do you want... Like, why do you want to get into any profession that's not going to pay you money, especially as a black man, you're supposed to be excellent, like, you know, black excellence and you're going to this really good school and all that. So I'm curious, did you hear that same messaging? How did you navigate that then? um, And how do you navigate it now? Yeah, so I mean, I I guess it kind of makes sense to go back to my high school journey. So, um, you know, I grew up on Long Island for the majority of the second half of my formative years. Um, and so as most middle-class black families did at that point in time, you know, Catholic education was the most accessible mm-hmm. um, or really any other parochial education. Cause it wasn't as expensive as the schools that we teach at. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could still get a quality education and get the private school appeal. Um, and so that was a big push. So um, what was unique about that space is, 
there were plenty of other black boys in my class. Um, however, you know, mm-hmm. when you get into the honors and AP circuit, that number mm-hmm. quickly begins to dwindle over your four years. Mm-hmm. So I found myself by the end of freshman, early sophomore year of high school, being one of two, one of three. Um, by junior year, it became I was the one in most of my classes. Um, and so what happened is that my school, as I think most institutions that aren't used to dealing with, um, you know, academically advanced young people of color, particularly black men, mm-hmm. um, the conversations that I had were more so around me being like this unicorn and people not really helping me synthesize down, like, what did I actually care about going into college? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the reason why I think that's important to acknowledge is because I entered college knowing that I was really good at a bunch of different things, but not really focused on what my passion was. So, mm. you know, I went to like my dream school, I always tell this story was to go to HBCU because I'd been educated in mostly white spaces from pretty much sixth grade forward. Um, and I was ready to be back in like a space that was more culturally affirming. Wanted to go to Morehouse, but then of course I went to a place like Syracuse because A, the name. Mm. Um, and then also like financially, you know, I'm not in as much debt as I probably would have been in had I gone to Morehouse, give or take. I don't know where life could have taken me. I could have done something great. Who knows? But mm-hmm. that was a decision that I made. Um, and so entering Syracuse, I was a biochemistry and political science double major with the intention of going into like medical policy or some degree of like high powered medicine. Um, was I passionate about medicine? No. Um, and it's funny cause like, you know, I got into when, before I even got into college, on the application process, I got into the, one of the most competitive programs in New York State called the Sophie Davis program, which gives you a BS and an MD in the course of six years. And like the program admitted me full ride, gave me even a living stipend. And I was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't want to go there. So I think at that point in time in my life, as a 17 year old, I knew that I really wasn't buying into like the doctor, lawyer, architect, engineer mm. trajectory. Mm-hmm. But I, I said, you know what, to make my family happy for turning down this really amazing New York State program through CUNY, you know, I'll go to Syracuse. They can say, you know, my, my son, my grandson, whomever, uh, goes to this high-powered school. Um, but I, what I always say is teaching found me. Uh, mm. You know, I, I was biochem in poli-sci my first two years. Then I hit junior year. And I was deep into my policy courses. And, like, I had that moment where I was like, I don't really care about, you know, organic chemistry and calculating molarity and all this other interesting stuff. I care more so about connecting people to resources and connecting resources that were not intentioned for people by some form of, you know, governmental design to a group of people. So there are many ways to go about doing that. Um, There are many approaches to that. But my junior year, I did a teaching program. Um, that spring down in New York City where they put us in a school that was probably one of the more underperforming schools in the island of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to teach a class on policy and civic engagement. And although that was probably the most difficult uh, <laughs> semester of my life, I think what it did for me was really clarified as a spring semester junior that I care more so about education and I care mm-hmm. more so about looking at schools because schools are such amazing incubators that if we do, if we approach them correctly, we can do some amazing stuff with other people's children. Right. Um, but if we don't do it right, we can produce a lot of issues. Um, and I think not to bring up coronavirus, but I think it's, it's manifesting so many of these conversations right now. Um, you know, I look at my own educational privilege and how it afforded me to even be able to work from home and not be concerned about a job. Um, Mm-hmm. longer conversation. <laughs> no, yeah, we're, but, um, we're going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got to go there. I think that's yeah, crucial. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, you know, junior year was it. Um, that summer after, I went to South Africa with a dope professor, Dr. Tim Eatman, who was a sociology of education professor who got me to think on an intersectional level. And that, that was pretty much it. Junior year, um, I officially, you know, I said, thank you for all these lovely science credits that are on my transcript. Um, but I'm going to stick I had enough credits to double major in something else. Mm-hmm. I was political science policy. Mm-hmm. I wrote my thesis on black boys and education in New York and then stayed on for a master's degree in education. So here we are. Um, wow. so, I mean, education found me, but back to my opening, I come from a family of God fearing people and a lot of preachers. So right. it wasn't like this is atypical. It's almost to be expected. And as you know, if you know a lot about black history in America, teaching and preaching makes a whole lot of sense, especially for black men. Right. Um, so I find myself actually more centered in a better space now. 
Wow. And wow. Yeah. I didn't know you took science courses. Yeah, man. I, I was real. I was real into it. I was, I was up in Oregon. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Did you enjoy those classes? Did, were you like, were you in those classes thinking like, yeah, I, I like, I like this. You know, that, that's a good question. So, um, back to like my, my high school story about not being taught how to hone in on passion. Right. Um, I mm, entered those mm -hmm. courses because I was good at them, you know? Mm -hmm. So like went through the biology courses, took the math courses, you know, of course, I, as with every other human being, you begin to exp experience, you know, a challenge in organic chemistry and the higher level chemistries. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it wasn't the challenge that was like frightening to me. I just realized I really don't care what happens in this titration equation. Right, right. <laughs> like I really just don't care. Right. And it wasn't like the sense of like, it's not interesting, but I was right. like, this is cool. You know, it, it's, it's stimulating, you know, right. to figure out this problem, but, do I want to spend the next, you know, if I live for 50 more years beyond this, the next 50 years as this being my life, or do I want to spend it another way? Mm. That's yeah, interesting. That I, you, you know, you framed it, you know, um, around God. And I think in a lot of, if you would have asked me in high school, is God doing this? I, I don't know if I would say it that way, but now that I'm older, I clearly see God's hand on my life and moving me in this direction it's, I, I tell my wife this all the time. I only cared about things that I was passionate about. Like I, I understood on an intellectual level that, yeah, you could do math, science, and be successful. But I was like, I, but I don't care about them. <laughs> you know, there's a really, there's a crazy story, um, not to put my parents on blast here, but um, I went to some like birthday party and my uncle is a, is a lawyer and um, I don't I don't know how old I was, but young, like really young. And my uncle put me in a room. He like closed the door and he's like, you know, um, I hear you, you. You like to write and do art. He's like, you know, you're not going to be successful doing that. Right. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you know, I'm a lawyer and I have a nice house and I have a nice car. I was able to get these things because of the money that law gets me don't you want those things and i was like no like it, it, it was just interesting and i look back at it now being like why was i so confident in myself in that way and it really seems to now i am able to process it process it as wow i think that god was preparing me for this job like it gave me the grace to do this job and so um yeah it's interesting um so but how did you how did you navigate it with your friends? I'm sure you had a lot of friends who were in that law space, engineering space, and they're like, Ronald, you you want to do what? Like, you want to, like, how did you navigate that social scene? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's funny, because I think, you know, the, the senior, my senior year of college, you know, most folks are calling it, like, their capstone year, but for me, it was, like, the, the great awakening. Like, right. my gosh. Um, right. In the sense that um, when I began to really, like, find a more central piece about what I was actually passionate about. Mm. I realized that I was holding on to both people and experiences that truthfully weren't adding. Value mm. to my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I'm the first to tell the story. Like my senior year, I was notorious for being just transparent. Um, <laughs> like I think it was maybe my, I turned 21 my senior year. Um, that spring semester, a lot of folks were just like, yeah, you've been like real, just like, cut and dry and like if, if people showed up to like a house party or a kickback and, and like you weren't cool with them you made that very clear and, and why and I was like not because I'm trying to be you know abrasive but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm more so I'd realized I think this is a part of also me like coming of age in many ways um, mm -hmm. I was pushing against all these narratives that I had to you know deal with people that you know were problematic and I had to welcome that into my life mm -hmm. and so what was nice in my senior year is I graduated with maybe six maybe seven <laughs> really good friends mm -hmm. um, my undergraduate institution uh, that were immensely supportive of my decision uh, to really focus in on a profession that I knew I was entering where I was going to be underappreciated, undervalued, underdeveloped in many ways because mm -hmm. the American approach to education, you know, we can already see in this current crisis, we're thanking everybody else, but the educators who had to shift mm -hmm. an entire system in the span of a week. We have to acknowledge that. I mean, that's yeah. not the, you know, our shape. We have to acknowledge yeah, 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 yeah. that. Um, 
so yeah, I, I was lucky to have friends that supported that. I think family wise, you know, there was that moment where folks were like, what are we doing with this? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Um, but then thankfully, you know, I have a mother that, um, knows that she didn't raise me to kind of be scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't really an option. Um, mm-hmm. so like a lot of what people saw probably after, like I finished up graduate school for my first degree, uh, they were like, yeah, okay. He, he knows what he's doing. It's going to be some bumps and shucks along the, the road, but at least he has a plan. Right. So I've been fortunate in that regard. Like that's, it hasn't been extreme pushback. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I had the complete opposite story. <laughs> I feel like every turn I was getting feedback, like what I'm doing is not what I should be doing, <laughs> you know? And I think a lot of that comes from the immigrant story. Like the, you know, my parents are, you came to this country, they bled, they sweat, they, you know, all these things to give us this life. And here I am saying, you know, I want to write poems, <laughs> you know, like, and, um, and so it was a lot of pushback. I think I had to go through it a lot. And I think as my parents and the people around me started to see the success I was doing, I, I was making and, and the things I was trying to do where people started to realize, okay, let's just sit back and watch Chitty do this thing because I think there's something else happening. Again, I think God moved in my life in a lot of ways to really make it clear that I need Chitty doing this, like, you know? And so, um, and now, like, everyone around me is, like, super proud that I do this, but it wasn't always like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that is that. So you went into the, yeah. tr- go ahead. Yeah, I was like, that just like brought a thought up in my head. Yeah, 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 like I think part of it is really, um, people don't always understand vision. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. actually, you know, like I think that's so critical. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, like, and it's difficult for me because like I'll explain to people what like I think I want my life to be about. Right. And some folks are like on brand, get it. Mm-hmm. This is Ronald to the T. Other folks get really confused. And I'm like, you know what? If you're confused, okay it's my vision you don't have to really understand it right just like sit and watch <laughs> yeah 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 it's true it's true um charter school you started that was your first intro to the yeah. education space what attracted you to that uh to that world um and why did you ultimately leave it yeah so um all of my graduate training, um, and so like for context, I graduated from my program early, so I mm-hmm. started working early. Mm-hmm. So all of my graduate training was in the public school system here in New York State, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. Um, but in reality, when it got down to it, um, I did my student teaching placement at a really well-known um, charter network uh, here in the city. Um, and I was so mesmerized by the commitment mm-hmm. to other people's children. Like mm-hmm. that was just so... Mm-hmm that like just oozed all over the building. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's what really attracted me into the charter space. Cause I'm, of course I had offers from amazing public schools here in the city doing really amazing work, right. mission oriented work. Right. Um, but you know, obviously your, your first teaching experience and introduction has like this weird seducing effect mm-hmm. on you. And so I was like, you know, I've started some time here. I've been here for a placement. Let me put in the good work of um, continuing my time here. Um, so that thought stayed <laughs> for probably the first 12 weeks of my time. Wow. Um, but then once we started getting into like the November, December season, and once I started seeing, I guess the honeymoon phase kind of ended. Yeah, yeah. And I started seeing the, the orientation for policy and the focus on what professionals really cared about in this space. It, it became disheartening. Um, so for me, you know, I taught a subject that was tested and my kids did fine. Like they did well. Uh, that was great. But I hated that, you know, I was teaching black and brown children the ideas of compliance, mm. um, the ideas of fitting within a rubric, mm-hmm. the ideas of not to question something too much, opposed mm. to where I get the luxury now. I hate to say the word luxury of like teaching Correct. kids. This document says this, but like, let's be skeptical. Do we even believe this? Mm-hmm. Um you know, this, this author is saying this, but we know there are some other voices that are missing. Let's mm-hmm. interrogate that. And that can be the, the discourse that we write our mm-hmm. five paragraph essay, in, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just felt so limited. And of course, you know, there are ways to teach in other ways and not to an exam, but then getting penalized for pushing kids to, you know, think beyond the exam was difficult. Mm. And of course I had the opportunity to teach an elective. So I taught 
African-American studies, but because it wasn't test aligned, right. like the culture in the school and the culture among students were like, yeah, this class is interesting, but like, if it comes down to homework, I'm going to do the algebra two trig homework. Cause that's for an exam. And I'm not going to do your homework. Yep. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. my homework was for you to go home and interview one person about your name story. Cause we're right. looking at nomenclature and black. Names. Like it was all these things. Right. Um, and so what ultimately pushed me to leave was, you know, I found myself like, I know I care about kids. Um, I know I care about their development. Um, but am I going to be complicit in a system where I'm teaching black and brown kids to be compliant? Mm. Um, and I couldn't sit well with that. Um, I couldn't sit well with um, the focus on limiting my own self as an educator for the sake of a, an exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like there are the other things in charter schools, depending on not all, not to generalize, but in mm-hmm. some like they, they police the adults like their children. You know, mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. I used to have to sign a book when I got to work to prove mm-hmm. that I was there on time for a morning meeting and all these small things where I was just like, do you trust me as a professional or are you trying to micromanage me? So that if I have to get fired, you have a record. Right. Uh, and I just didn't like living that way. I realized that I was like physically depressed by like the time March got around. Cause March in the public school system is like that evil month that seems to never end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, yeah, no, this, this can't be it. So it was a tough decision because I loved my kids. Um, I loved the, the mission of the organization that I worked for, mm-hmm. but the articulation of that in the school just wasn't, just wasn't on brand for me. Um, and had I not left when I did, I guarantee I wouldn't be a teacher right now. I think wow. I would probably give place maybe one more year. Yeah. And then you probably would have caught me in someone's business school. Mm-hmm. Now working at Goldman or mm-hmm. something, you know, just yeah. because I was so disenchanted by the time I left that place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's real talk how long were you there two years two years yeah i did one year um that's crazy what you just said that if you would have stayed there longer you would have not been a teacher and you had been you know no offense to goldman but working at a place like goldman sachs but that's real that's a real yeah. thing um and you see it a lot. I mean, I don't know. I have very rough data on this, so let me just say that. But when I talk to people who've either done Teach for America or the charter school uh, thing, they'll say, I've been there, I went there for, or taught there for two, three years, then went to law school. Or yep. two, three years, got my MBA. And I'm curious if the framework of the charter space was different, do we retain those teachers? Um and return, retain that brain power that could have helped really revolutionize those spaces um, and innovate in ways that maybe um, we we don't get that innovation as much. Um, Yeah. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I did one year. I think very similar to you. Um, Yeah, I just couldn't do it. Um, And I love my students. I love them. I love them. To this day, I think about them like, man, that was a special group of students that I taught. I just couldn't be in that that environment. It just wasn't for me. I'm not gonna. I don't want. I don't want to shade the, the charter school thing. It just wasn't for me. I just wanted to be more creative. I think my story was that you know we got observed a lot. You know, you know this. We got observed every. I don't know. It felt like a lot. <laughs> like every day, it felt like by our you know department chair and the principal. And I remember there was a student who. Uh, we were reading um, A Death of a Salesman. And uh, in that book, um, it's all about capitalism and one person wants to live off the land, another person wants to like sell, like sell I think, vacuum cleaners. And um, Biff, Biff was like the person, he wanted to like live in the countryside and he wanted to do those things. And it seemed like the book is saying that that character is noble because he doesn't want to live in this capitalistic world and he wants to live off the land and he wants to live this organic, natural life that's not um, um, led by money and what have you. And um, at one student raised her hand and said, is, is Biff rich? And, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. Because she was like, I want to live off the land but I cannot. (laughs) I bet my mom who works two, three jobs wants to live off the land, but cannot. And so um, 
this is a character who clearly has the choice to live off the land and live away from this capitalistic world. And I remember being like, yes, <laughs> like, like I never thought of, I just never thought of it that way. And so it started this really great conversation about them, like their lives, their mothers, their fathers, and how they are navigating work and all of that, you know, two, three jobs to live in this thing. And so the class is over. I'm being observed. And so I'm like, like, that class was amazing. Like we killed it. We had a great conversation. They were able to take this very distant book like Death of a Salesman, right? Very, very distant book. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it was written a long time ago. It's all white character, you know, all that. And um, their main concern was that I did not go over SAT words. That they were so like on that. They're like, but we didn't get a chance to go over the SAT words. Now you have to do more words next week. And so we got to figure out a way for you to catch up. And I was like, screw the SAT words. Like I got these kids to talk about the book in a way that they owned it. You know, <laughs> that's all I cared about. I don't care about the SAT words. I was like, I, they, 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 they now maybe the next class, they will want to read the book more because now. And so that was the day I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, man. I was like, nah, I think Texas Self Connection is going to take them a little bit further than the SAT were. Yeah, and this is, I, with all due respect, I, I, I respect everyone in that space. Just, I just, it didn't, it didn't feed me as an educator. Um, but then you make the tough decision to say, oh, okay, you learn about independent schools, and I'm cool. interested yeah. in how you that became an attractive option for you. Yeah, so it's actually a, I hate to say the story because mm. it just sounds so bad. <laughs> um, well, not bad. It's just like, brother, like what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I knew that I was done at the charter space. Um, and then, so of course, you know, I put, I re-put in my application for the DOE. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, um, a really profound network of all boys schools here in the city. And I got offers to two of their locations, one, which is literally a five minute walk from my house where I currently live. Nice. Um, and the other that's up in Harlem. Um, and like I was going through the process and, you know, at this point in time, I'm still very early twenties and literally a friend of mine was like, you know, this is cool, but I feel like you should really try an independent school. And I was like, you mean one of them schools where the kids like the, the, their biggest <laughs> issue was like, daddy didn't get me a, yeah. a bend for I'm yeah. like, yeah. I was like, I'm not from that. Yeah. I don't think that would be a good fit. Uh -huh. And so literally I, a friend of mine said, listen, give me your email address and I'm going to put you into this like person of color hiring fair pool. He's like, I just want you to go and just learn. I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so literally, I, I approached the hiring fair. Like, as I look back on it, I was like, I was the most like nonchalant, like, I don't really care that I'm here person. Mm -hmm. But I was like, yeah, I'll talk to some schools, see what they're about. Mm -hmm. um, and then our, our current uh, diversity uh, co-director was there. Like, he came up to me and was like, ran down about the schools. And he was like, I know you're thinking you're not from these spaces, but uh -huh. I really want you to think about how you can make these spaces actually more accessible for uh -huh. kids that might have. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, white man, talk to me. Like, <laughs> like give me more. Um, and so like, I, I left, I left the hiring fair. Like, you know, I learned a lot about these schools. Like it was cool to see schools that were like many colleges. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also foreign to me. Uh, Cause I went to a Catholic school, but like, you know, Catholic education doesn't, at least in my experience, didn't operate where like a school had like this mission statement that seemed very like much like a college. And mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have, like I still had to go to the New York state regents exam system when I was in my school. These schools aren't held to that. So I was like, how do you even measure accountability of teachers? And like all these, all these questions I had. Right. Um, but I think what ultimately got me into these spaces and I think what has sustained me in these spaces, although it's been a very interesting three mm -hmm, years mm -hmm. now, um, has ultimately been thinking about, this is like the African-American studies major in me is like, these are spaces that were physically created in many instances to mm -hmm. be exclusive and to codify a really specific um, type of elitism. Mm -hmm. um, but now, what does it look like to take those spaces and put, you know, folks of color, um, particularly black men and women, I think is an, an important group to focus on in the American context um, in positions of leadership, of teaching of um, decision-making in these spaces, because what does that then do to this whole paradigm of elitism and exceptionalism in this country? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what motivates me. Like, I, I literally say to myself, I get to wake up every morning and use somebody's endowment that was probably funded by someone who did not want me to be in this space right. to physically support black and brown children. 
and then to walk into a history department and be like, so today we're going to learn about social constructions of race in seventh grade, and that's just what we're going to do. And yeah, we're going to really sit with this for the entire year. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, it, it energizes me because although not all my kids look like me, like, the, like they did in my previous setting, I know that the work that I'm doing is not devalued, but it actually has the same value um, because I'm doing the same work of educating other people's children, but I'm also in a space where I can actually speak truth to power more directly. Mm. Um, like quick aside, like I think what's actually brought me joy this year is having a seventh grader go home who lives on the Upper West Side that where they can see Central Park. And I've taught my, my Seneca Village unit about how Central Park was like a pretty racist construction. Um, and having like the kids say, Dad, I don't want to go to the park today. And the dad's like, why? You know, it's a beautiful day. It's like, so I can walk over probably someone's grave or someone's community that was never acknowledged. Mm. And I'm like, yes, you are getting the point. <laughs> right. Um, because like, yeah, you have this privilege, but you know, privilege also can be held accountable mm. and you can also be reflective within that. Um, so that's how I got into these spaces. I literally tell everyone, I'm like, I'm just kind of here figuring it out. Cause I don't know what this space is. I feel like I've woken up in Narnia and haven't left. Um, and every day is something new, but I think what is important about these spaces is really speaking truth to power mm-hmm. and really making these spaces adjust when they don't want to, um, mm-hmm. or they're slow to move because of fear or because of fragility. Um, I yeah. think that's what keeps me in them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a lot. Was like, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with all those points here. But it's not easy work, right? And I think you know that. Um, one, one educator told me when I was um, thinking about doing this, um, going, into, going into the independent school space, was that there's going to be one day that's going to cripple you. Like a day it happens. It's like you, you're fine and you like are operating under the framework you just said so, so great. Um, Ronald, um, about you know you're educating people's children, you're bringing truth to power, you are innovating, you are providing a voice that they probably have never heard before, and then there will be a day that it'll it will like cripple you. And the, he told me you got to figure out what you need to tell yourself to get back moving. But be like be wary that day will happen, and they will happen not every day. Maybe it'll be once a month or twice a month. Um, yeah. You know. Um, but what are the kinds of things that you tell yourself when you have one of those crippling days? Yeah. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, um, cause typically those days either happen around content that I'm pushing, mm-hmm. um, or around in my other hat, mm-hmm. uh, the program that I'll receive pushing an mm-hmm. institution to ask itself questions that it's not ready to ask itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's those days typically happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of think back to my grandmother, uh, rest her soul, um, really thinking about, she would always say, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. Everybody would do the job. Um, but then more so she would literally say, um, you know, if you've been positioned somewhere, it's because God wants you to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so not to constantly bring in religion, but I know for me, at least what kind of keeps my true north is the fact that if I'm, if I'm able to be in these spaces and I'm pushing this way and the pushback isn't like, all right, fire this man. It's more so like, oh, my feelings are hurt by your statement or, right. oh, you know, this makes me feel uncomfortable. For me, that's more of a sign saying that it's tough, Ron, but you got to keep pushing because you're starting to hit a nerve here. That's going to have to be pushed against. Um, right. And I think what helps me keep my grounding is that we are dealing with other people's children and our own inflated thoughts of ourselves and our emotions mm-hmm. don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, yeah. yes, yeah. I know we care about ourselves and self care. I'm all about that movement. But mm-hmm. when dealing with children, um, especially cause I am a black man that went through many different educational settings, I had teachers who prioritized their own emotional health over my own development. Mm. And I also had teachers that prioritized my own development over their, you know, emotional perceptions of health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the teachers that prioritize me are the reason why I sit in front of my classes today uh, mm-hmm. and do the work that I do mm-hmm. um, and have the passions that I have. The teachers that prioritize their fragility, quite frankly, over me are the reasons why I don't do specific things in my classroom 
Right. I don't approach things a specific way. Um, and that's what I think back to. Because, I mean, I think in education, it, it's a field where you give so much and you're criticized often, um, but not necess- people don't really understand the amount of weight that goes into saying, I'm an educator. Mm. Uh, your job, really, you, you can't have the nine to five flow. We've all gotten that email at night from a kid who said, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z. Right. And you're like, okay, let me switch into counselor mode mm-hmm. and figure out how to get you the support that you need. Absolutely. Um, you've been teaching longer than me. Um, you know, but like the idea of like kids coming back constantly mm-hmm. um, and needing things and seeking out support. I mean, that started as early as my second year of teaching. And I was like, I'm barely out of college. Like how am I supposed to be, you know, like mm-hmm. father, you know, father figure, but, right. um, those are things that are, aren't in any graduate school or Teach for America program course, right. but you're expected to do. So that's what I call. I go back. So I go back to the higher mission and purpose. Right. And remember that these days are just days. Yes. <laughs> They're just one. Um, yes. That's how I get through. Yeah. Yeah. And also for me, realizing that some of these hard parts are part of the blessing. Like you, this this is part of to be. Um, a change maker to 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 be a shape shifter. They're going to be these moments where there's friction, and yeah. um, it, it's part of the process of of, of being there. Um, what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? I know that you you know you started this program. I see you wearing the sweatshirt, uh, the steps program. Um, what do you want to do with that? What what is what, why are you so passionate about this particular project? Yeah. So. Um I think the reason why I, I kind of go hard for steps, anyone knows me, like I go hard. Like you, you talk sideways about my program, I'm going to mm-hmm. meet you outside. Mm-hmm. Um, what is steps? <laughs> but, so, uh, like I think people need yeah. to know what steps is. So steps, I think most importantly, it is a student led and drafted initiative that's faculty supported mm-hmm. um, that was brought to us by a graduating student who was like, listen, I, mm-hmm. I've been here from 12th grade. I've had, these experiences as a black woman, particularly where, mm-hmm. yeah, I did fine academically, but socially and emotionally, woo, this place is kind of taking me out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her idea was, what if we had middle division kids or middle schoolers have upper division mentors that kind of curate a, an experience where they can kind of just be unapologetic about this is my experience and how do I navigate it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that started off now three years ago. And the reason why I think the program is, has a special place in my heart is, you know, the school in which we work at, it, it was a 22-year process after a few accreditation processes and, you know, evaluation periods um, where they were trying to get something like this off the ground, but it kept failing or faltering or it wasn't framed right. Um, and so this started the year that I got hired. I got an email in, like, October um, saying, hey, um, would you want to lead this program? And I read the email and the way it was framed, I was like, Oh, this is all deficit framing. You got to quickly like fix this mm-hmm. to make sure kids are the program. Mm-hmm. And now the program um, has been one of the most successful programs that are targeted towards kids of color in the school's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like what it is, I guess the core for me in that work and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I'm like, wow, you know, um, a student who was not supposed to be in this space by historical design, um, comes into this space, persists through this space, then says, hey, school, you, you, you gave me all the, you know, things for college, mm-hmm. but there were some social and emotional pieces that tore me up a mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. Here's a solution. You know, not just here's my complaint, but here's a solution. Right. Um, and the reason why I go so hard for it is because I think that's the beauty of education. Like, the kids make the places better um, if we give kids the bandwidth to believe that they can do that. Um, and that student... You know, she has a special place in my heart. Um, she went on to an HBCU and unapologetically went on to an HBCU and is very vocal about that um, and has created a model where, like, I have, like, eighth graders asking about, like, yeah, my parents want me to go to Ivy's, but, like, I, I read up on Spelman, and I think that'd be a great space for me. And I was like, "Amazing!" it's like, 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 and this is, like, an, an eighth grade, you know, student in this elite school. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think for me, um, the reason why I go so hard is because if we keep curating spaces like that, what do we then do to these institutions that um, were historically founded just not for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what does that also prove to these institutions when they say that kids can't persist there or when, you know, data suggests that, you know, black boys, for example, 
don't do well in these spaces over time. But what happens when we actually are intentional and proactive in supporting them? Mm-hmm. Can we start tainting some of that data, mm-hmm. um, which has kind of become my interest? Um, so what Steps has done for me is I think it actually has clarified my purpose in these spaces. Um, you know, I love teaching deeply, but I think teaching is a step. Um, I think, you know, teaching is an entry point that allows you the privilege of working with other people's children. But then by nature of the profession, you start seeing the needs of those children. And so right. my, right. my growth model now is thinking about how can I situate myself in a space um, like the one in which we work um, and make sure that every conversation is not about what's easiest for the adults, but what's best for other people's children mm. um, on a consistent level. Because um, I've been in plenty of meetings where it's like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, but these 12 kids need this. So right. we got to do this. Right, um, right, right. And yes, it's more work and yes, it's more challenging. But I think in an independent school setting, you know, if we say we have a commitment to the whole child, if we say that we're going to fight for the public or common good, whatever that even means in real life, mm-hmm. um, then we got to do it, right. <laughs> you know. Right. And it, it can't just be for the newspaper or for the that, that one big event. It has to be sustained. Um, so that's right. why I do what I do. Um, and that's why this program, you know, I'll be sending emails on a day off for this program. <laughs> um, right. you know, I'll do what I got to do for it. But yeah. Yeah. And how long has the program been running? Since this year three. Um, yeah. So you've, you've so been there from the very beginning. Yeah. So literally my second month of working at the school, Yeah. <laughs> this has been my, my side hustle. It started off as a, you know, 15, 20 kid program. And now we're operating over 60 students. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, and now we're expanding, you know, for a lower division through upper division paradigm. So it's, it's exciting to now think about what can we do in a second grade space or a third grade space? Um, yeah. yeah. Make sure kids have more of these mirrors um, mm-hmm. of, of what their life can be, which is exciting work. I mean, it's taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I go to bed some nights frustrated. I was like, that whole meeting I just had was about you and your emotions and not about these dang kids. Um, right, right. I think what motivates me is, is seeing the incremental shifts that have happened in the span of three years. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. What are you building towards? I mean, your early in your career, um, what are the kind of things that you are really, you know, trying to move towards? Like, is it being a principal? Are you thinking about, like, what are you thinking about doing head of school? I don't know. What are you thinking about doing? Yeah. So, um, that is the million dollar question. You asked <laughs> that question when I started my teaching career six years ago. Um, it would have been, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, make sure kids learn some real interesting stuff and I'm trying to make sure they all become activists, which, which is still core to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think that I've learned to broaden my, my, my cast of my vision. So I know that I care about connecting people to resources. I know I care about equity. Um, so ultimately in these spaces, particularly I I need to be at a position of not, I don't want to say power, Mm -hmm. but a position of decision-making where I can author and articulate policy Mm. that takes the missions that these schools say that they have Mm -hmm. and actually make them for real. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of where I see myself. So how that manifests, that might be me working in diversity and equity for some time. That might be. You know, in a couple of years, a division head position opens up at an all boys institution and I jump on that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So like there are many ways that that can manifest. And the reason why I don't attach it to a position, and this is like one thing my grandfather told me that's golden. He should have, you know, he should have patented this thing and made it, made it his own nonprofit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when you attach, you know, your talents to a position, you oftentimes put blinders on towards the really, like really great things around you. Yes. Yes. So I think about my own journey. I'm like, uh-huh. I could have, like, I wasn't really about independent schools, but had I said, no, I'm a public school educator. Yes, I only yeah. care about public schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I would have never discovered steps. And I never right. would have, you know, discovered, like, what does it mean to work at an institution with an endowment of over $375 million? Right. And then how can you then leverage those resources and opportunities? Right. Um, and I think the thought process that I have now when it comes to education is so much more global um, and not so insular and um, focused mm. on particular points that I think that wherever I end up next, I'm going to be far more talented in that role because I'm going to speak to 
in the charter space, we would do things this way. In the independent school yeah, yeah. space, mm-hmm. we would do mm-hmm. things this way. Mm-hmm. Like, I have all these different approaches, which I realize are deficits in my own institution for folks that have only worked in independent schools, for example. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of how I navigate it. Um, how are that, however, like, that manifests, you know, if that's a division head role, awesome. If that's head of school, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm trying to be intentional about not attaching my passions to position because mm. that could be one. But yeah. but being pretty transparent, of course, like I want to have career growth, and so what that then manifests as is like you know this is like a, a side we got to catch up later about some other stuff at work. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like even like if that means like going to like my head of school and saying, hey, I've showcased these competencies and I'm not seeing growth. So do you want me here or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just having that really transparent conversation. Um, I think, you know, that has allowed me that confidence. Um, right, right. Because I think in these spaces, it's been the good old boys club, like your turn. Now your turn. Yep. And your turn. Absolutely. And in, in the current economy that we in, especially with the teachers that are going to be hired in the next five to 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, like they're not going to go to work in spaces where it's like, oh, I got to wait 15 years before I can, you know, even do anything that really has systems level impact like that. Right. That's not going to work. Um, and so long story short, the long-term goal is to make sure that I connect kids to resources, to make sure that I'm teaching schools how to articulate their missions in ways that actually are true. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything else, using an equity-based lens at every aspect of an institution. And right. I know that's difficult. I'm in a, leadership program now how do you convert equity at every aspect of a school is a difficult paradigm mm-hmm. but if we say that the institution's committed to that we got to do it right <laughs> right you know it, it, there's no option there you got to do it right um or just take it out your mission statement like just don't put it there <laughs> right that's false advertising and i don't want to false advertise to families and children right yeah. wow yeah i love that i wrote that down not attaching passion to our positions. That's, I think that's an important, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely think about that as well. Um, you, you brought up charter school. I want to make sure that I, we say this because I think even though we had our challenges in that space, it taught us how to Best teach. It taught us Best how to, it, right. I am, yeah. who, I want to make this very, very clear. I am who I am as an educator because of that one year I spent at a charter school. It's my belief that every teacher in the country should have some level of teaching boot camp like we experienced because yeah. our class it has brought a level of focus and intentionality to my classroom that it just makes it just more effective like the things that they yeah. taught us how to do how to how to section off the different you know the do nows are happening and then we have a mini lesson and then there's the heart of the lesson and then we, have, we stop and jot we do all, it just made sure that it also created equitable classrooms so because i'm always thinking about teacher talk time like am i talking more than my students are talking and so i'm thinking about the ratio is it right or am i am i giving them more opportunities to write as opposed to speak like there's all these different things i'm constantly thinking about even now and i'm going to get into this this coronavirus real quick because i think this is also a a, 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 um, lessons or in wisdom or in this thing too like even in this like teaching online i'm constantly thinking about like what i learned like how can i take what i've learned from the charter school space and bring it online so how do i how do I make a use of the chat room as a place where we can write down different notes and people can read them and respond to them? Or if people are quiet on the, um, on the Zoom call, I'm thinking, okay, okay, maybe the idea of talking on a Zoom call is not their thing. So what else can I do? Can it be a Google Classroom discussion board? Or I'm always thinking about like different kinds of learners and that's a charter school thing. And so, yep. and that framework's gonna help us as you, you know, move on in your career you know, you had that experience, you had this kind of independent school world where it's like, don't tell you can do whatever you want kind of thing. And, and so combining those two powers, it's, it just puts us, puts us at an advantage later. Yeah, definitely. Coronavirus, uh, a couple more places. Coronavirus, man, we were remiss to talk about this experience. Um, but I, I want to talk about it from a different way. Like, I wonder what you're learning about your own passions your own pedagogy um, that will be useful to you when you return back to the classroom. Yeah. Wow. That is 
that's that's a million dollar question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, what I've learned in this season because I mean I know it's different in the upper school versus the middle school. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have the luxury of running our classroom as we would have done it mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. We're now all the teaching teams using the same materials on the same online platform, which is great for the kids because, like, I mean, you know, you can now depend on all your classmates to help you through an assignment, things like that. Um, so what I'm learning about me is that, I, you know, oftentimes you're put in spaces where you have certain skill sets because of, you know, charter experience or because of having to teach in a particular way because, you know, you're a teacher of color. And then I have to now translate that to mostly white counterparts. Mm. Uh, and, and that has been an, a very interesting challenge for me. Um, not because, like, it's hard to collaborate, but, mm-hmm. you know, when, when, when I'm designing a lesson, I always am going to place an objective on a document. Right. So the kids know this is exactly what I want you to do. Right. My, my directions are under 20 words. We're going to have some good, like, real clear expectations throughout the document. And then people will be like, wow, this is just like so organized and like so streamlined. I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm not in front of my child. So I got to make sure they have certain things. Right. Um, so I'm kind of learning how to collaborate in such a way to bring people into my mind a bit to see like why I approach things a certain way, especially from an equity standpoint. Mm-hmm. But it's also teaching me how to ask people, why do they do what they do? Um, right. You know, and like, why do they approach certain things the way that they do? So I think if anything, it's making my like, teaching ear um, a little bit stronger because I have to physically ask my colleagues who design lessons that I have to teach online, like, why did you organize it this way? Like, what was your thought process in this? Um, which I think is exciting. Mm. Um, for my kids more so, what, what I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but coronavirus hit at a really great point. Mm. <laughs> um, in the sense that, you know, in as a seventh grade teacher, you know, March, April is kind of where kids Thankfully, most of puberty is done um, and you're moving more so towards like the, okay, I'm like this little growing man or woman or whomever, and I'm trying to figure out how to show my independence. Right. And this is a prime opportunity, right? Like you don't have Mr. Taylor there to kind of give you like the guiding hand that I would. You're not going to have my like lovely whiteboard that has your three things as your buy-in for class that day. Um, you're going to have a video of me and a Google Doc that's going to ask you to self assess your own work. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like blown away. Like I've done it twice with my kids now, but I was like, here's some general observations I saw from your essays. Go back to your writing and reflect on these general observations. And like my kids were putting down some dope stuff. Like one kid was like, in my analysis, I didn't, you know, take use of social constructs enough when talking about the Gilded Age. And I was like, yes, that's why we teach. Like, go <laughs> on. You know, um, and it was an exciting moment because it's like, yeah, that's what this is about. Um, right. So for me, I, I think I'm pushing for that more. Like my kids have always naturally been independent because like that charter school model with the gradual release yep. and like try not to, not, not to over scaffold. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm like, what would it look like if in October, November, like I had kids doing that same work opposed to waiting into the springtime. Right. Um, right. Yeah. What would it look like in my classroom? So, yeah. I mean, I think it, it's making me a little bit more ballsy as an educator mm-hmm. while also thinking how do I collaborate with people that just have very different pedagogies and styles, right. um, which I think is, is infinitely helpful. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, man. It's, yeah. I'm I'm super curious. There's something also, I don't know how you mimic this in the real world environment, but because they're by themselves, like they, I don't know, I have to teach seniors, so it's a very different framework. They seem super focused. <laughs> like there's a, there's a level of intensity around our conversations online that I'm like, how can I mimic that? <laughs> like, because they don't have anybody next to them. So it's like, it's their book, it's their notes, and then me. <laughs> so I'm just curious ways we could, I don't know, I need to figure it out because um, we've had some really good conversations online. Um, and a lot of that may just mean, you know, they're craving intellectual stimulation, you know, being at home. It could be that, but I'm just curious. Yeah. We had a really cool thing yesterday. I talked about the uh, chat room thing where I made them like, what are five things they're noticing in we're reading American marriage by T.R.A. Jones and, um, just five things you are noticing in chapter one. And I had them write it in the chat room. And so people were like populating all these really good ideas 
and I'm reading them through and I'm like, um, so I'm reading one good idea. I'm like, you know, Charles, this, tell me more about this idea you came up with. And then he like talked about it at length and, you know, just having all these like, uh, updated document of people's writing and being able to pull it out and say, you said this thing, tell me more about that. I found that it activated some of my more quieter students because again, charter school thing where I read it out loud. So it prepares the student like, oh, he's reading my work. So automatically they're like listening, like, you know, and I'm also saying, wow, that's a really good comment. Tell me more. That instant validation gave him the permission to speak his mind. And so, but that kid at school often feels like his work isn't as smart, so he won't say, you know? So I'm like, how can I, if I can activate that kid online, what what are some other ways I can do it in the classroom? Do we also have a Google Doc, you know, that's on the screen at all times and they're writing into it and I'm like, I don't know. Just, I'm just curious how I can activate some of my more quieter students. Um, the big question I guess I want to, land on is you know you know this more than i do as far as the exact stat of black male teachers in this profession yeah what's the what's the stat yes i know in the public school system it hovers around two percent mm-hmm. um independent independent schools are a little bit harder to track at the check mm-hmm. um in ais to see what the most recent data that they produced is mm-hmm. but I, I know it's maybe slightly above that but not very high mm-hmm. but, re- but remember we're dealing with a much smaller subset exactly of schools Exactly. Uh, so either way, neither one of the numbers are over, I would say, 8%. Right. And of course, in the big cities around the country, like New York is slightly better. Yeah. Um, because they, and Philly, because they've done strategic initiatives. But mm-hmm. those are just major urban centers. But nation writ large, we're hovering somewhere around 2%. Big question. Why, why do you think that is? And how can we improve that number? Ah, man, you ask the history teacher, why do you think that is? <laughs> God. Um, so I'm going to make this a five-minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, um, okay. So in short, I would say Brown v. Board is mm. where it kind of starts. Um, you know, Brown v. Board is beautiful in that it encouraged school integration, but the mistake of Brown was putting the black and brown babies in spaces in, in, spaces in which they weren't accepted nor welcomed. Mm. Uh, and so if you look at historically what happened is that Brown v. Board, you know, said with all deliberate speed, integrate, so bringing all these kids into better schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those better schools did not have the educators that reflected the experience. So we see the beginnings of the achievement gap or what uh, mm-hmm. Gloria Lett-Billings calls the um, education debt, where we actually like created divisions mm-hmm. um, because Putting someone who went from a nurturing classroom with yes less resources potentially right 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 into a more resource classroom but with an educator that didn't probably want to teach that child right uh, and in a community that didn't want that child there right um, so there was there were psychological damages on the economic side around black and brown folk is that all the black men and black women <laughs> that were educators um, were out of jobs because they would apply to also go to those schools but wouldn't be so when people have like these overly priced education conferences, like we don't get why we, we don't have enough, you know, black men in the classroom. It's like because in the 1950s and 60s, you pulled us out of the profession that we had the most access since probably antebellum. Mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Like teaching and preaching. That was like what we were allowed to do. Um, and so, like, I, I mean, I think what happens over time is, you know, you have a whole generation, which would be at that point in time, my grandparents, the beginning of my parents' generation, um, that is disenchanted by the education system because it physically excluded them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I, I call it like the, the, the black flight into all these other professions and giving them more credence and centrality because education was locked out for so long. Wow. Um, because of Brown v. Board, which had a great intention, but the trickle-down effects were that it physically messed up an important aspect of African-American communities. Wow. Um, so when we, when we think about, and there's, there's many great articles, um, Gladwell has an amazing podcast on this too. Oh, okay. Um, but I mean, I, I think when we think about these realities, the ways, the ways that we have to really go about fixing this solution is really trying to get 
young black men in particular as early as high school and middle school interested in teaching. And I, and I know that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, you know, that they're growing up in the, in this context that is, is highlighting certain professions as being like, that's how you're going to make it out in life. Right. Um, and probably your parents or other mm-hmm. successful folk mirror that. But what I try to do, especially for my black boys is kind of mirror. Like, I mean, sure. I'm not, you know, under 30 driving around in a, you know, Tesla or something, but I have certain aspects of my life that make me successful. Right. Um, I still can show up into a space and do multiple things. Um, there's a reason why, like, if people see me around school, I try to keep a certain level of fly to the way that I dress. So, like, right, my right, kids right, right, right. There's certain, like, swagger attached to, like, the teaching profession. Right. Um, because ultimately, I want these young men to have it in their mind, oh, I want to go into education as they become college students. Yeah. Um, they can take advantage of all these programs that are manifesting and paying for these master's degrees and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, I mean, the biggest way to fix it, I think, is just knowing the history, right? So, like, when I used to teach high school students, I went through Brown v. Board, I would be like, we love Brown, but here's the implication, you right. know? And so, I frame it as, like, a civil rights thing. I'm like, if mm-hmm. you really care about civil rights and social justice, you can physically undo the the, 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 the things that federal policy messed up. Um, but it's hard. I mean, yeah. like, how do you get black men to want to go into a profession where if you don't have a master's in New York, your starting salary is below 60 K in New York, which is difficult. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I started teaching, I was making 55, three before taxes, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, thankfully, you know, I, I had a decent living situation, but that's not a lot of bread, you know? And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, if you go to college and you get all this debt in some cases, for some people, it's like, yeah, I, I really want to come out in, you know, make at least 70 something at mm-hmm, least. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but thankfully, like, you know, I had a master's, but that helped up my, my, uh, earning potential, but still, you know, New York and taxes is crazy. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think it's really about engaging kids early. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about creating mirrors that teaching has swag to it. Like the right. same way, you know, your friend can walk in a pair of Jordans. You know, my, my history teacher walked in mm-hmm. with a pair of, Jordan, I'm like, I sure did. Mm-hmm. I'm not broke. I bought them. Yep. Because yep. I'm part about my money. Like, yeah. And there are different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think, honestly, um, as a start. And outside of that, I mean, policy. Mm-hmm. Like, truthfully, why is anyone paying to get an education degree in 2020? I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. All teaching programs, like, they need, like, the same way other countries fully fund certain things. If you want to be a teacher, it should be a fully funded program. Mm-hmm. Like the federal government cuts that check because it's a critical need. There's a national teaching shortage. Um, and if policy doesn't match it, sure, I can get all the scholarships from all the cool organizations. Right. But that's like a handful of people. Right. Like what happens if the federal government says we're doing a special stimulus to support men of color going into teaching where we will pay for your bachelor's and master's. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm hard pressed that people wouldn't be like, Oh, that's free school. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm a hard pressed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, man. We, one of these days we got to do a whole series on money. I think, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think <laughs> one of the major things that is not the light is not shut upon is that, the potential to earn a good living as a teacher, a very comfortable uh, um, um, earning as a teacher. And so um, I got to figure out a way to do it that doesn't um, compromise me and you. But um, <laughs> uh, cause I, 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 told, I was telling my wife, like, we should talk about money. And she's like, don't ask that man about money. <laughs> uh, so, but I... I they hear the podcast and I'm like, oh yeah, so uh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about your podcast and uh, no, but but I think it's, we, I got to find a way. Maybe we can figure it out how to be tactful about it because if I was in college and I heard a podcast where it was a bunch of teachers of color men who were talking about, okay, this is the kind of thing I had to do to make sure that you know I wasn't going to you know be broke. Okay, I, I did X, Y, and Z. Here are the four things I had to do to make sure I had to innovate. Right. I had to think about like, what can I do? Like, how do I lead steps? Like, how do I, you know, go out and, you know, things like that. There's, there, there are ways that I would like to, 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 to share uh, with people that I think 
could be useful, but it's a it's a it's a hairy topic when you are employed yeah. by those places. So we'll figure it out. Um, man, this is I, I, we're at one hour. I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like we hit everything. Did we hit everything? I feel like we had a pretty good job of everything. Yeah, I think we, you know, we talked about where you came from. You know, you got a brother in school right now. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. What does he want to do? So he, he he's the, the research brain. Like, I, I'm, I'm the fake research brain where I'll do enough so I could write a good, you know, presentation. He likes to write long papers. So, okay. Uh, he, he go on to be a sociologist looking wow. at uh, the interest of race and economics wow. as well as the intersection of black exceptionalism and HBCUs. Wow. Because uh, he attends one and he has a lot of good questions about that. Right. So um, I'm excited to see where that takes him. You know, he's a sophomore mm-hmm. killing it. You know, I, 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 I couldn't be happy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> like a proud parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, I guess we should do the normal podcast thing of like where can people follow you on Instagram and all those yeah. wonderful things. So um, you can first like I have a website. It's, oh, you uh, Ronald, I know RonaldJTaylor.com. You can pull up on there. Um, but also Instagram is at Ronald J T Taylor. So two T's, you know, Ronald J T T A Y L O R. Yeah. Um, and I have a Twitter, which is the same as that Instagram handle. Um, cool. I'm more so on Instagram, Twitter, and I, you know, on and off. Yes, <laughs> on and off relationship. Man, follow but, uh, him. Yeah, but, Ronald is doing big things. But yeah. Yeah. If, if, if there are any future developing educators listening to this in yeah, the future, yeah. no questions, a dumb question. Yes. Yes. Please, please. That's the whole reason why we started this thing is, is to really, really create an online home and hub for information about this space and this profession. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would have loved to be able to stumble upon some information when I was in high school, college um, that could have helped me on this journey. Um, yeah, Ronald, Ronald is doing big things and um, is someone you're going to be hearing about for some time. And so I'm happy I was able to steal him for this podcast. I didn't have to go through an agent or something. So that's cool. Uh, thank you, Ronald. Thank you everybody for watching and I'll see you guys on the next time. Have a good time. Be restful, be safe, be healthy and drink some water and wash your hands. All right.